We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. For boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit winbet.com. That's W-H-N-N-Bet.com to start winning. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always, my co-host Nick Pilato. And we're getting close, boys and girls. We are getting close to the NFL draft. I can feel it. I can hear it creeping in. And I see all the bullshit rumors that are coming out today about who's taking who, which is the best because you know not to take with anything more than a grain of salt. And look, we had to do it. We wanted to do it. And we hadn't had the chance to. So today we are doing it. We are doing dueling seven-round mock drafts for the New York Giants coming up. I'll have my own seven-rounder. Nick will have his own seven-rounder. And guess what? We allow trades, baby. So there will be trades in this mock because neither Nick nor me could help ourselves. We are traders. And to be fair, I have, don't have confirmation on this because I briefly looked through Nick's. I didn't want it to cloud my opinion. And I also didn't want to know going into the show either. So I looked after I did mine and then just for a second. But neither of us traded up. We're not trader uppers. We're trader downers. We wanted more picks. We wanted more dart throws. We wanted more swings. We wanted more of these players in that range where there's value, there's upside, and there are players that can help the Giants. So without further ado, Nick, let's dive into this thing. But first, actually, one more thing I forgot to mention. Another thing I forgot to mention was we use Pro Football Focus to do our mock drafts. Now, why do we do that? I decided it was the most accurate platform. I think their draft rankings, which is how these mock draft simulators are basically based on, are better than any of the others. And more. And by better, I mean more accurate toward what will actually happen in the NFL draft. Now, I went through my draft, and I drafted a few players, Nick, who I feel like won't be there at these picks. And I'm going to bring that up when I bring up their draft. You, I think, took a little more liberty uh, with that. There's a couple players you drafted really late that I don't think are going to be there. But we're going to get to that, Nick, because, look, you had your fun. You said, you know what? I can wait on these guys. I took the guys. I took a similar player. I'll just say this. Spoiler alert. I took a similar, the same player as you, like 60 picks before you. So, And I don't think he's going to be there in 60 picks. So we'll get to that. But without further ado, Nick, how do you want to kick this bad boy off? Do you want to talk about what you did at number five overall? Who was on the board? Who you considered? Who, who didn't fall that you wanted to fall, anything like that? Or, or do you want to just kick us off in another way? I, I leave the floor to you. I think I'm just going to kick it off by going over the top four. 
in the okay. in the draft because it was it was pretty unique. It went with Aiden Hutchinson. Okay, no really surprise there. But then it went corner corner with Sauce and Derek Stingley, and then the Jets went with the Quanu at four. And I actually don't hate this start of the draft. Ideally, I haven't made this a secret whatsoever. I would love for Ahmad Sauce Gardner to be a New York Giant. But in this specific scenario, I'm sitting there at five, and I don't want to trade out of that pick because Evan Neal has now fallen to me. And that's where I ended up going here. And I really appreciate this because as I'll get into my seventh pick, and I might as well just group it in here because it kind of goes with the thought process as to why I was thinking this way. I'm like, I don't want to trade back because I don't know who this team is trading up for. And Carolina is more than likely going to go with Charles Cross or the tackle that the team who traded up did not go with. And that's exactly what happened. Carolina went with Cross. So I just stayed put at seven. And I was like, dude, Kayvon Thibodeau just fell to me. Sauce is not an option. I could trade back or I could just gain this elite type of edge prospect with one of the best get-offs in the draft. So that's what I did. I ended up going with Evan Neal and Kayvon Thibodeau, and I would be happy with that. Ideally, I want a cornerback. I think it's more pertinent to Don Wink Martindale's system. But in this scenario, I had a choice between Thibodeau, Walker, Kyle Hamilton, and I'm happy with going Thibodeau there. Yeah, you had an interesting start to your draft. Mine I mean, you have the ideal start to the draft, I think, with the exception of maybe some fans thinking it's still possible to get like Neil and Gardner, which I think is just becoming less and less likely and maybe never was. Gardner, I think, is going to go three or four in this draft, most likely, I think, to either the Texans or the Jets. But I will say this, as far as your draft fell in the first four picks like mine did, Nick, but I think one thing we're overlooking is the the high possibility that um, the Texans can go Evan Neal at number three overall. Why? I say that because Nick Casario is there now, the Patriots general manager. And Neil feels to me like a very Nick Casario-like pick. I don't know how to explain why. I just feel like he looks, he feels a lot like somebody that Nick Casario would take at number three overall. And that's my biggest concern because I said it today on Twitter, Nick. Evan Neal, more than anything I want in this class, if I had one wish list decision to make right now, it would be Evan Neal falls to number five and the Giants take him at number five overall. I think looking at this thing, I was trying to go through today. If I had the number one overall pick right now and I was the New York Giants, let's say the Giants had the number one overall pick, and for some odd reason, you could not trade it. That was part of the deal. You got the number one pick. You got to wake up with the number one pick. It's a dream. Somehow this dream came true. It's now a reality, but you can't trade it. If I had that first pick, I think I'm taking Evan Neal number one overall, and that's why it's my wish list, that, and that's why there's no better scenario for me, Nick, than him falling to five and the Giants taking him at five. I wouldn't. The only other player I would consider taking over him would actually be Kayvon Thibodeau. I wouldn't take Aiden Hutchinson over him. I just don't see the upside there over a player like Neal. And even, uh, even when it comes to Thibodeau, I would take Neal over Thibodeau. I think, yes, there are some issues, and we'll talk about it, and we've talked about it in length, so we could go over it again. Neal's also my pick at five. My draft went a little different than yours, though. My draft actually went Aiden Hutchinson one, Ahmad Gardner two to the Lions, which is interesting. I haven't seen that much. Ekimawanu three to the Texans and then Thibodeau four to the Jets. So my decision was basically between uh, Evan Neal and players like Charles Cross, Trayvon Walker, Derek Stingley. That's really only other players I consider with that pick. But the way I see it with Neal, there's a non-zero chance he's just impossible to beat uh, in pass production in his NFL career. At that size, carrying the weight the way he carries it, with very few deficiencies right now in pass protection, things I think he can work on. We've already seen this work with with these ultra, like, crazy uh, size length power guys. Like for example, Orlando Brown Jr. 
Nobody beats him around the edge. He's too, he recovers. Even when he's beat, he recovers because he's insanely long. And I think there's a non-zero chance Neil is just a better version of that at the next level. Maybe not, maybe not the exact same prospect, to, but to me, can win in similar ways in pass protection. And so to me, Nick, I, if I had the number one pick, I would actually take Neil, I think. I said a while ago, probably over a month ago now, that Evan Neal is probably first in my wish list, and it's more contextual than anything else. Evan Neal isn't my top player in this draft, and I understand, yeah, BPA, BPA. But when you have a pressing need like right tackle, like the New York Giants have right now, and the grades between an Evan Neal and, say, a Kayvon Thibodeau or a Sauce Gardner, they're comparable, I'm completely fine with going Evan Neal in that situation. And if I had the first overall pick, too, that would that would be my choice as well. And the Giants... Who would be your number one player then? Because you said he wouldn't be your number one player. Uh, Grade-wise? Yeah. My number one player right now, I think, is Kyle Hamilton. And then uh, I have Kayvon Thibodeau up there. I also have Aiden Hutchinson up high. Would you have have those three all over Neil? Yes. And then I have Stingley and Sauce, I think, as well. But maybe I think Stingley and Sauce are closer to Neil. But Hutchinson, Kyle Hamilton, and... And Kayvon Thibodeau are all pretty high on my list in terms of like their final grade. But I'd still go with Evan Neal if the Giants had the first overall pick. You need that right tackle. You need yeah, it. positional Evan value is a real thing. There's a reason why I'm not considering Kyle Hamilton over Evan Neal when it gets to me here at number five overall because of positional value. It's a big factor in that decision. And even when you take it a little further, I actually feel like Neal has, I don't want to say equal upside to some of those players, but overall, but it can be argued. I mean, he carries 350 like like nothing. He looks like we said this about Matt Perrett. He looked like a tight end at the combine. In many ways, Neil has that, but then 10 times better film and is actually a really good tackle. In addition to having success on the inside when he played there, both sides, I just love his length. I love the combination of his length and his ability to recover as a pass protector based on that at the next level. And I think the experience at Bama plays a big role in my, in, in my decision-making as well, but I couldn't be happier than the mock falling the, the way either of ours did here, Nick with Neil, Neil at five overall on yours and Neil at five overall on mine. I absolutely love that. But Dan, who'd you go with that seven? Did you trade that? So my seven wasn't as good as wasn't, didn't fall the way yours did. Like if my seven fell the way yours did, I would have taken cave on Thibodeau and I would have washed my hands with him and been like, Neil and Thibodeau, are you kidding me? I somehow walked away with these two players. But Thibodeau's off the board in my mock. Charles Cross goes six. And I'm sitting there at seven, and there's really only two players that I'm considering at seven overall because I'm not really on board with the Kyle Hamilton uh, train here, and I don't really want A's receivers. I don't want a player like Devin Lloyd there. Um, I don't want – I definitely don't want like a Trent McDuffie. I don't think he would fit the system at all. And Jermaine Johnson is somebody who I've just kind of soured on a little bit, Nick. I don't know – for me, it's it's not just the age factor with Johnson. It's just the, the pressure rates at the college level. Like they're just he he's somebody who when I watched, I really liked and I still really like. But I'm t- definitely concerned with the pressure with the pressure percentage at the college level because a player like Bur- Brian Burns, for example, and I'm not comparing them. They're not similar prospects in many ways, but they did both they just both played for the same school. And I, I remember loving Burns coming out. He had insane pressure rates, and that was one of the big reasons. He just consistently got pressure. And I'm not saying Johnson can't do that at the next level, but it's just a situation where those numbers aren't where I want them to be for an older prospect who I'm considering at seven. So it's really just Walker and Stingley for me here at seven overall or trade back. And to me, to be honest, Nick, as I look at this board, I just don't really see too many trade back situations I'm excited about either. Say you trade with the Steelers, right? At 20, that's been discussed. Or at 
at 15 or 16 or whatever it is, the Saints at 16 or 19, I should say, or you get both of those, let's say, or you get the Steelers one next year. I can be convinced just getting that Steelers one, but if the Steelers straight up here, it's for Malik Willis. I think Malik Willis is going to help them win games in year one. I think they'll have a system that hides a lot of his deficiencies and accentuates a lot of what he can do well. By the way, Malik Willis was the, by far and away the most, I saw a stat today, which is impressive. He was by his heat, it showed his heat chart. He was by far and away the most off uh, from an on target standpoint, the most accurate passer on the deep outs and the intermediate outs. And those are the NFL throws. He can make the NFL throws right away. You just need to hide what he can't do right now, which is kind of process defenses at a, as at some people believe at NFL level. A lot of people believe that he has a tendency to go off his first read and then just tuck it and run. But look, the Steelers can come up with a system, I think, in year one that hides a lot of that. And they already have the elite defense and they already have the skill talent at the running back and, and wide receiver positions and an offensive line that played a lot better last year. took a, somehow a crazy jump from where they were at. So I don't really see the Steelers losing all that many games next year if they trade for Malik Willis. I think they're going to have a chance to win more games than they won with Ben Roethlisberger last year. And in that case, what are you getting next year out of this? You're getting a late 20s or an early 20s type pick from the Steelers next year. So to me, it's just not enough, Nick. What I ended up doing was going with Derek Stingley here at number seven, a player who I've really warmed up to over, over the course of this draft, uh, you know, this draft process. When it comes to Stingley, I understand the drawbacks here. People are very concerned with the injury profile and very concerned with the Giants' recent history of drafting players who have gotten injured and ended up being busts based on that. They're also concerned with the fact that, yeah, his best film came in 2019. But Liz Frank injuries are tough to come through, and they're not they, – and look, we've, we've gone over this last year when we talked about the Kyle Rudolph signing, Nick, and how – and even the Evan Ingram – Liz Frank injury from two years back, how it takes almost a full year to get to get back and recover from that. But when it comes to Stingley, I'm focused on the future. And I actually just saw, you know, Trevor Sikama from Pro Football Focus have Derek Stingley as his number one player on the board. And you think about that and everybody's going to reply to that tweet like, oh, my God, this is the craziest take ever. But not really. He's looking at it from a scouting standpoint, from a skill set standpoint, and from a trans translatable trait standpoint. You can make the case that he's the best prospect in this class as far as that upside goes and what you're looking at for like how these players translate to the next level, how they're going to match up against actual NFL receivers, not against the players they matched up against in college, who mostly they won't match up against in the pros. And Derek Stingley has experience doing that in the SEC. He's experienced doing it in practice where you know, Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase raved about his coverage in practice against those two players. And those are two of the best receivers in the NFL right now. He's proven he can match up against them. Some people said in the 2019 LSU championship team, he was the second best player after Joe Burrow. These are what their teammates are saying, what the coaches are saying. And so, yeah, I get it. He hasn't been that player since. And a lot of the reason in my mind is just the injuries. But I know he can get there. I know he's still young. I know he has all the traits that translate to being an NFL corner at the next level. And I could totally see him just being the Jalen Ramsey of this draft class, the guy who everyone looks back and was like, ah, we're a little too worried about the injuries. Ah, we're a little too worried about the 2020, 2021 tape. Just like you said, Nick, if he had just flipped the script and had that 2021 or had his 2019 season most recently, we would view, you, you know, the recency bias would be there. We'd be like, oh, who cares about what he did earlier in his career? Look at the progression there. And, you know, a lot of people would argue, it's my final point on this, Nick, a lot of people would argue that it's better to break out at a young age than it is later in your career. Breakout age has been a big indicator. This is the analytics community that would argue this, has been an indicator of future success at the NFL level. And he broke out incredibly young age uh, there over at LSU. I love Derek Stingley. I mean, you're not going to get any pushback 
from me. I think the my only concern with him is medical and just how he would fit with the Giants. And I don't like I, I've said this several times. I don't I haven't heard anything about his him being a lethargic or anything like that. I've heard people speculate that he wasn't the best in interviews and, and stuff like that with the media. But that's with the media. That's something totally different. So I would love this pick because I do believe you're getting a very high upside player who has all of the necessary traits to be one of the best players out of this draft and was viewed that way back in 2019. So I, I, I'm fine with Stingley here. Yeah, and just remember, we had on Eric Crocker, former NFL defensive back, who had him as his cornerback one in this class over Sauce Garner and has him as his quarterback one. And that's somebody who played the position. That's somebody who scouts this position, I think, a little bit differently than a lot of people. I take his word with a lot of, you know, I, I believe in his word, to be completely honest. I like it. I like hearing somebody like that say it. I think we also had somebody else on, who I'm now forgetting, who also had Stingley as a CB1 in this class. And this is good. You know, that's great to hear as well, I think. But ultimately, it comes down to what we see as well. And I think he has the traits to be as good, if not better than, than Gardner at the next level. You need a cornerback to shut down opposing wide receiver corpses. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. <laughs> Shout out, Cy. Shout out, David Syvertson from uh, our lads and BBI for going out of his way. I don't know if he did it on purpose. I don't think he did it on purpose. I want I want to bank on the fact that he did not do it on purpose because it makes me feel even better if he didn't. But he did pronounce wide he did pronounce it wide receiver corpse on our podcast and a lot of people caught on to that. It was just another notch, you know, that's a big win for team wide receiver corpse, all right? We needed that. We needed that win badly because I'd been buried on that, no pun intended. I'd been buried and left to die and finally there was a little glimmer of life that you know maybe it is wide receiver corpse after all. Maybe it's it not. is. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's move on to round two here. But let's recap real quick. Nick has Evan Neal, offensive tackle out of Bama, and Kayvon Thibodeau, the edge out of Oregon. So he's got OT and edge to start this thing off. And I have Evan Neal OT. And then I got Derek Stingley corner to start my draft off. So now you're sitting on the board at 36. What do you do, Nick? So I'm sitting on the board at 36 and I'm looking and there's a lot of players that I like, but there was a bunch of trade offers. So I checked out the trade offers and I decided to actually make two trades. So I've traded down twice now after what I'm about to explain. So I'm sitting there at 36. I trade to 40, pick up 109 and 152. And then at 40, I trade down 10 spots to 50. And I also pick up 94 around three pick and 135 around four pick. So that's kind of where I'm at right so now. So recap the total of what picks you sent out and what picks you now have. So I traded 36 to acquire 40, 109, and 152. And then I traded 40 to acquire 50, 94, and 135. So I picked up 50, 94, 135, 109, and 152 from those trades. Okay. So I'm sitting there at 50 in the second round and I'm looking around and honestly, I'm happy about this. Now, Leo Chanel went off the board, which I'm upset about because I wanted to go after that Wisconsin Badger. But instead, I get Jaquan Brisker, who is a safety out of Penn State that I don't feel like we've discussed enough on this podcast because we love a lot of these safeties. And Brisker is in that second tier of safety that I really appreciate, along with the Daxton Hills and the Lewis scenes and the Jalen Petries of the world. I think Brisker might be the most versatile of those players in terms that he can play the post, he can play center field, you can drop him down in the box. I feel like he's a little bit undisciplined with his tackling, but that kind of thing can be corrected. But he's a very explosive athlete who I feel like can work interchangeably with Xavier McKinney, because we talk about that potential with scene. And then you look at the Petries of the world and the Hill. They're a little bit different. They're not necessarily true safeties. They're more of those overhang slot defenders, or at least that's how they were utilized in that defense, in those two defenses this past year. I think Brisker is a little bit different and can offer a little bit more in terms of he can play single high, he can play deep half. And I thought 
50 was the perfect value for him. So that's where I went here. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I love it because Brisker, you're right. We haven't talked a lot about him, but that's not for, you know, that's, we're not going to get to every prospect when we do this. Um, obviously we don't have a profile on every prospect and there's just some prospects who fall through cracks. He does, you know, Christian Harris is a player who I like out of, out of Alabama. We haven't talked about really at all. And I feel like if the giants drafted him, I wouldn't, I'd be happy. I think Christian Harris has a lot of upside too. And Brisker's another player like that. We haven't really had a chance to talk about much, but he's a really good player and he fits what the giants would want to do too. Like you said, the versatility is there. So that's great. You want to have, in my mind, if you're taking any of these safeties, with the exception of Petrie, who I just think is great at what he does, and I'm okay with him not being as versatile in my mind because I don't think he's going to be interchangeable. Otherwise, I think you want the interchangeable safety type. You want that prototype. You want the ability to allow Xavier McKinney. Yeah, yes, me and Nick love when Xavier McKinney is playing the single high role in the cover one, like you know, with the middle of the field close, like we're going to get from Wink. We like it. He's great at that. But I think Xavier McKinney offers a lot around the line of scrimmage as well. And I think Xavier McKinney offers a lot matched up over the slot as well. And I don't want the Giants to just have to lose that because they're drafting specific safeties to play specific roles. And also, in addition to not to losing that, it makes them more predictable and it allows the quarterback to have a better idea of which player is going to be where on any given snap. When you take that away and you add these two or three interchangeable safeties to your defense, you add that to you. Now you have that, you have that ability to be a little bit more deceit, uh, deceit, deceitful, I should say, not deceitful, obviously deceitful um, to an opposing quarterback, to an opposing offensive coordinator. So I really like that pick for you, Nick. I think you did a great job there. Just doing, you know, just going out there and getting a player who can help the giants right away in year one. All right. For me, I'm sitting there at 36 overall. And guess what? And and I promise you to the listeners of this podcast, me and Nick did not discuss these mocks at all beforehand. Literally at all. We did them completely independent. I looked at his only after mine had completed and I only looked at it briefly because I didn't want to ruin it. And I kept mine away from him in a separate doc because I didn't want him to, to get to see it. I wanted to all be surprises for Nick. So at 36, though, I did something very similar to Nick. Like Nick said, I really like the talent in the 30 to 60 range of this draft. I think that's where all the best value is in this draft. So with that said, I want to get more picks from 30 to 60. As it stands before this trade, the Giants really don't have 
you know, they they have they have the pick at 67 before this trade, but otherwise they only have the pick at 30. And so I want to try to get more picks in between, which is something that I did here. Um, and so for me, I traded first, I traded pick uh, number 36 overall and number 112 overall, Nick, to the Browns. And they gave me back 44 and 78. 78, a little bit out of that 60 range, but I feel felt like I could get a player who I really like there as well. Then I traded back again from 44, giving up 44 and 147 for 52 and 84. So again, a little bit outside that top 60 at 84, but just I feel like I can get a good player there. So now I'm sitting there and I had given up 36, 112, and 147 ultimately, and I get out of this 52, 78, and 84. So I give 36, 112, 147, and I get back, what did I say, 50, 52, 78, and 84. So I like what I got, and I got lucky in this one, Nick, because Leo Chanel did fall to me at 52 overall in this simulation. And again, I've talked at length about Leo Chanel, a player who I think can be a unicorn in this draft. You just rarely see players like him who are six foot two and a half, 250 pounds, and yet can run a four, five, three, and yet have a one, five, five, 87th percentile, 10 yard split to show the quickness, a 41 inch, 96th percentile vertical, 128 inch broad jump. And then it shows up on the tape. I'm, I forgot who tweeted this out. I think it was Hayden Winks, but he's like, we legitimately here having 99th percentile athlete at the position with a 98th percentile production profile. And that's what it was. He was insanely productive against the run at the collegiate level. Pro football focus charted him with having the third best run defense grade of all time at the linebacker position. And I forget now I'm forgetting who the two above him were, but they're like two basically studs. One was out of the NFL because of off field issues. The kid on San Francisco, the kid who got drafted by the 49ers, but literally had nothing to do with what he was on the field. He was an immediate uh, impact run defender on the field. So I think immediately he comes to the Giants and adds a ton to their run defense just right away. But then you also talk about the production from a sack standpoint and what he can ultimately be eventually as a pass rusher within the Wink Martindale defense. There's no better defense right now to unlock what Leo Chanel can do as a pass rusher than the New York Giants. And when you put all that together, that gets me excited. I think he's a unicorn prospect in this class. I don't think any prospect at his position is anything like him. Um, and I don't think, you know, you look at it from the athletic standpoint, that's obvious, but just on film as well, when you consider what he can do against the run. And then in my mind, what he can ultimately do against the pass, obviously the, you know, there, there are drawbacks here with the Chanel. That's why he's going this late, even in this draft. Some people have concerns about his ability to hold up and pass coverage. Some people have concerns about, is he too tight hit uh, to turn and run with, with, with running backs or tight ends and pass coverage. I don't think it's going to matter, Nick, in Wink Martindale's defense. I just don't really see too many scenarios where he's going to be held up on an island doing that or, you know, forced to be doing things that he's not good at. He's going to be used to best fit his skill set. That's what good coaches do. And that's what Wink Martindale has done with prospects of the linebacker position before who are not really, in my mind, as high upside as Chanel, but had similar traits. So I, that's where I'm going at 52, Nick. Nice. I knew you were going to find a way to get Leo Chanel on your team. Let's be honest here, bro. Yeah. It had to be done. And now, I, now I'm sitting there with an offensive tackle, corner, and a linebacker. And you're sitting there with an offensive tackle, an edge, and a safety. Yes. Yeah, so a little bit different here. And honestly, man, I end up trading the number 67th pick to Baltimore to get their 76th pick in the third round and also recoup the 110th pick, which I'm sure we're thrilled the Giants do not possess right now. Yeah, exactly. Because of the Ben Bredesen trade, which is, you know, uh, it is what it is. But then at 76, I go with a developmental cornerback in Tariq Wollin at a UTSA. This is somebody who has a unique 
spider chart. Very, very long type of player at six foot four, 205 pounds with 33 and five eighth inch arms, which is absolutely ridiculous for a cornerback. He went to the senior bowl, man, and he was like shutting down SEC defenders and just looked really, really comfortable at that event. And then went to the combine and ran a four, two, six with a 42 vertical jump. You're talking about ridiculous testing numbers. You turn on his film, I'll say I watched the film against Western Kentucky and I felt like he had one play when he was right in hip pocket in man coverage. It looked like the, the, the player, the wide receiver almost stacked on top of him, but he didn't allow that to happen. And he knocked the ball away near the red zone. And then he had another play in the red zone on a third and six where he came off the number one and then hit the number two's out route in zone coverage, showing the eye discipline that you want and the just ability to decipher what the offense's intentions are. Came off the number one's vert, came down, click and close absolutely blew the wide receiver up to force an incompletion. I think in general, his angles are a little bit shoddy and he can definitely use some development with his press technique, even though he has all the length and all of those positive qualities. But I think this is just an excellent developmental person that you want to add to your secondary room, have Jerome Henderson, get him, groom him and get him up to speed on how to play in the NFL. And if he does hit at pick 76, you're talking about one wild unicorn. And I know that word gets thrown around a lot, but you just do not find players who can move like him with that kind of size. So if he can develop those little nuances, this is a high upside pick in my opinion. And I love that. And I know it's okay to call him a unicorn. There's not, everyone's not a unicorn, but these guys are. Leo Chanel, just look at the numbers. Look at his athletic profile. Same thing goes for Wollen. You can just look at their profile and know what we mean by being a unicorn. That's betting on traits. It's, you know, that's taking the upside and the potential for the Giants coaches to bring out the best player in him. And we don't know what these guys are like off the field. And, and ultimately, it always comes down to them for me. Like, do they want to be the best at their craft? Are they going to put in the time and the work? But assuming that he is, and all these, assuming that all the guys we draft are in this mock are, I believe in that pick. And I think right now, you know, you may have missed corner, you know, one of the two big two corners in the first round, but you have a chance to get somebody who, in my mind, is one of the few players in this class who can be what the Giants need, um, you know, for for the boundary cornerback position within this system. And so because of that, I really like this pick. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I, I like this pick at this value because he's somebody that I could see a team betting on in like the 40s, which is way too rich for me personally. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to go at pick 67 here. I held it. Again, remember, I picked up 78. I picked up 84 with my trade backs earlier, and so I'm kind of happy with those. I'm going to get some guys I really like. I felt like at 67, I didn't need to do any more trade backs, at, at least at this stage of the draft. I liked what I saw on the board at 67. And by the way, I forgot to go over this, but I did write it down, so I wanted to talk about it. When the Chanel pick was, when Chanel was on the board at 52, the players I considered there were Nick Benito, the edge rusher out of Oklahoma. Now, Benito, for me, I think has some of the best get off and edge bend in this entire class of any pass rusher. And to me, those are the two traits that are most likely to make you a successful sack artist in the next level. But I'm concerned with his size, and I'm concerned with, at least early on, and to me, it might be just forever, him being more of a situational passing downs player. Now, there is an argument to be made, and I've heard people make it that, look, if you can get a guy who's, one of the best pass rushers in this class or can be one of the best pass rushers in this class, an actual useful asset there at a position where most of the time, you know, once you get out of the top one, two, three, four prospects in a class, sometimes it's even fewer. None of these guys end up making almost any impact as a pass rusher. And that really is true. And if you feel like you can definitely make, get somebody in Benito who's, who can be an impactful pass rusher, but maybe never a full three down player, it may still be worth taking early. It's a good case, but to me, I felt like Chanel had more upside and the chance to be a three-down player, so I went with that. 
I also consider Roger McCreary, the corner out of Auburn. Look, he's being dinged for his short arms, but as far as man coverage goes and what the Giants want, he may be, in my mind, the third best in this class. It's possible. He really might be. And Eric Crocker, former defensive back who loved, you know, Derek Stingley, also loved McCreary. And I know you liked watching McCreary a lot, too. And it's hard to not like him when you watch him on tape. He's sticky. He's right there in coverage. He's what you want. Again, will the short arms not allow him to play on the outside? I don't know. I think there's always outliers when it comes to the arm length, when it comes to the, you know, quote, unquote, measurables that you have to reach to play a certain position. So I'm not ruling him out, and I'd be excited if the Giants got him. The only other player I considered 52 was Dylan Parham, the uh, mem- the the interior offensive lineman. So then at 67, I went with a player who I've kind of warmed up to a bit. At first, I thought he was more of just like an athletic freak, a bet-on-traits guy. Then I finally watched him. I'm like, this guy is productive. This guy, especially when he's matched up in the slot, and that's what really intrigues me most about him. And that's Nick Cross, the safety out of Maryland at 67 overall. And I think his ability and his potential upside to play the deep half, but also come down and match up against certain tight ends in the slot due to his freakish athleticism gives me gets me excited about the possibility of drafting him. So just a little tell just a little bit to talk about uh, here with Nick Cross from athletic standpoint. He's six foot one, two fifteen, ran on the Maryland track team which is, oh, I always love getting track guys because to me that means they're super athletic and they have traits that can translate. But he ran the sixth fastest 40 time of any player at the combine, not not any safety, of any receiver, running back, anything with a 4-3-4. He had the eighth best broad jump, again, of any player with 10, uh, 10 feet, 10 inches of anyone who was there in Indy. He finished his career a little bit more productive than people give him credit for. No one thinks he was productive. He still had six picks, three forced fumbles, four, uh, four sacks, had a ton of special team snaps, which is something I saw. Who, who, who pointed this out? Somebody pointed this out to me on Twitter. ton of special team snaps, which is what you want as well early on for players, you know, being able to impact the game in multiple ways. And just the athletic profile there is just through the roof. A 98th percentile 40-yard dash, 83rd percentile 10-yard split, showing the quickness, the burst. Um, the, you know, his weight in the 72nd percentile, the broad jump, the explosion, 92nd percentile there. So to me, you're betting on traits here, but you're also getting a player who I think has a lot of upside to be a a miss, uh, not a mismatch. Sorry. Somebody who can counter the mismatches at the tight end in the big slot position in the NFL. I like Nick Cross. I think he is probably in that third tier of safeties for me, but along with Kirby Joseph, the kid from Illinois as well, who I feel like a lot of people are sleeping on. I saw highlights of him, and I haven't done a breakdown on Joseph. But you were right, man. That guy's got some legit freaking range. I can definitely see a team falling in love with him around this area of the draft. Yeah, Joseph's somebody who just flashed when you watch Big Ten. He, the, what what you just said is the range. And he was someone I considered here at 67, by the way. The players I considered at 67 instead of cross were Zach Tom, the offensive lineman out of Wake Forest, Channing Tindall, the linebacker out of Georgia, Parham, Dylan Parham was still on the board. I considered him the Memphis uh, interior offensive line. Cole Strange out of Chattanooga offensive line. Marcus Jones, the corner to Houston, who I like a lot more than others, considered him here. And then Sean Ryan out of UCLA. These are the players I considered here at 67 or all. But ultimately, I went with Nick Cross. And it's interesting, too, because I just picked Tariq Wollen at the 76 pick. I really kind of wanted to address interior offensive line, but since I traded back a bunch, I had the 81st pick. And I mean, well, the Giants have that anyways, but I have the 81st pick. But I wanted to go with Parham. He went the 75th pick right before I selected Tariq Wollen. So I ended up going with Wollen because I knew I had the 81st pick. And the reason why I waited was because 
first I'll tell you who I went with. I went with Sean Ryan. He just brought him up. He was a tackle out of UCLA, more than likely figures to be a guard at the next level. But at this area of the draft, what I'm thinking, Parham went at 75. So I just went with the developmental corner at 76. But we still had Ryan on the board, Zach Tom, Darian Kennard, who is the tackle from Kentucky, and Jamari Salier from Georgia. And I wanted Salier to fall, and he ended up getting selected. But I'm perfectly content with sitting there at 81 and selecting Sean Ryan, who we talked about with David Sibertson. And I went through his film last week, and there aren't many people who have the type of grip strength that he possesses. And everything that I saw in his film that seemed to be problematic was things that would be negated if you move him inside. He wasn't that great on an island, wasn't as disciplined with his hips. His pad level tends to rise when he has to kind of protect that outside shoulder. He allowed some certain pass rushers with speed from wider alignments to kind of chew up that pass rushing arc and get into that outside shoulder. But none of that's going to be an issue if you kick him inside to guard. If you want to talk about the overall power that he brings at the point of attack, you ask him to block down. He's going to pave three techniques out of the way when he was a tackle, say one technique, if he's blocking down like that and power gap. And he's also pretty efficient in those combo climb type of situations. I felt like he took smart angles up to the second level and he's a functional athlete. I feel like he's a solid enough athlete. He's not, you know, Cam Jurgens athletic or anything like that, but he's definitely somebody who will be able to be an effective run blocker and the issues that he has in pass protection will be masked in at guard. So I really liked getting Sean Ryan here at 81, a four-star recruit coming out of California, stayed at UCLA, and hopefully now can come to New York and be a really impact player at left guard or right guard. Yeah, I feel like Sean Ryan is a Nick Filato player in this class. I really do. Just based on, you know, what a lot of people, where a lot of people have him versus where you have him. And and just hearing you talk about him gets me excited. And so is it fair to say he's a Nick Filato player? I don't know if that's fair because I like a lot of these guys. Like I love Zach Tom as well. Mm-hmm. And I actually went with Ryan over Tom here. I feel like Ryan, I feel like you can try Ryan at tackle. And if it doesn't work, you can probably move him inside. Ideally, I think he'll settle down inside. Whereas Tom, I don't know if he's going to be a tackle at the next level because he doesn't have that same run blocking ability he's much more of a pass blocker than a run blocker whereas ryan i feel like he can be a good pass blocker inside yeah and his run blocking will be very very good so that's kind of where i land on ryan i like a lot of these interior offensive linemen too like i said Sawyer and parham as well so i'm not sure if i would sign my name as he's my he's a my guy but he's he's in the conversation it's all air player we haven't talked about much either, but a lot of people like, and I haven't really watched much of him. So he's just somebody who could go to the Giants, and we might not, and we might, one will have to do all the work on after the draft, basically. Yeah, I'm, I like Sawyer from when I watched him a while ago going over Georgia's offense. I think, yeah. I think you'll like him too. Okay. Um, all right. Go over right now through your draft through this point. Give the pick, the number you took the player at, um, the position, and then obviously the school he played for. Yeah, so I went with Evan Neal, tackle at five, and then at seven, I went with Kayvon Thibodeau, the edge from Oregon. Traded back twice, landed me at pick 50, where I took safety Jaquan Brisker out of Penn State. Then I traded the 67th pick for the 76th and the 110th pick. And at 76, I took Tariq Wollin out of UTSA, the cornerback. And at 81, I took Sean Ryan out of UCLA, and that's where I'm at. He is a interior offensive lineman that played left tackle at UCLA for three years. Okay. And so for me, heading into this pick right now, I have Evan Neal, an offensive tackle. I got a corner, Derek Stingley. I got a linebacker, an off-ball linebacker in Chanel, though I do think there is a chance that he could do a little bit of work on the edge, potentially, in this defense. That's projection, though. And then I have a safety in Nick Cross. So now I come to my pick now at 78. This was one of the picks I traded for here. And a couple players I considered who were on the board. Marcus Jones was still on the board. Sean Ryan 
uh, Danny Gray, the wide receiver out of SMU, who I just really started watching recently and I like. And so I haven't seen too much, but from what I've seen traits-wise, I'm a fan. Channing Tindall, I mentioned before, the linebacker out of Georgia. And then Alec Pierce, my boy from Cincinnati. But with the 78th overall pick, I took Cole Strange, the interior offensive lineman out of Chattanooga. Now I'm just projecting him there on the interior. Some people think he might be able to hold up on the outside. He does have good length. He's six foot four, seven, uh, seven foot, almost six foot five, 307. But I think he's going to be a really good player on the interior. We've seen a lot of these small school players have success at the NFL level. And to me, the ones that have translated are the ones with a similar skill set or at least a similar thing that they love to do. And that's work in the run game. And I think he loves the run game here from watching him. He is super explosive off the snap. And I know it's going against players who played in Chattanooga's conference. I understand that. But man, he looks like a man among boys there in the run game, just explosive off the snap and then just displacing people on such a uh, consistent basis. And he, too, was a really good tester at the combine. I guess, you know, we're seeing a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of similar, I guess, traits in a lot of my picks here that I'm betting on traits and I'm betting on projection here. And Cole Strange came to the combine and ran a 20 yard shuttle, which is some people believe the most important drill for an offensive lineman. In the 90th percentile, his three cone, which other people believe, you know, old school three cone used to be the most important drill. Then it became the 20 yard shuttle for, as far as projecting and predicting went. And that's 89th percentile three cone. His broad jump, which shows the explosion, which I think is so obvious when you watch Cole Strange, that's 99th percentile for all offensive linemen. That was, whew, I mean, this dude is as explosive as he seems. 86th percentile bench press. Uh, 10 yard split, 83rd percentile, 40 yard dash, 90th percentile. This dude ran a 503 40 yard dash at 307 pounds. I mean, off the charts across the board, with the exception of arm length, which I guess kind of goes back on what I said before that he has the length. I guess it's the heights there, but the arm length, which is probably why people are kind of downgrading him a bit there in that in that regard. And then obviously wingspan, uh, weight, height, these are all things that didn't measure in crazy percentiles among offensive linemen, but as far as interior offensive linemen go, if you're going to put him on the inside, I don't think any of those things are going to be an issue. So I'm getting explosive here, I think, with this pick. I'm putting somebody on the interior for the Giants that's going to be an asset in the run game pretty early on. Love it, man. Cole Strange, that's good value right there. And at pick 94 for me, I end up going with linebacker Channing Tindall. And I got this pick from the second trade down that I executed a little bit earlier. Channing Tindall is about a, I think, six foot two, 230 pounds with sub 33 inch arms, just 32 and seven eighths. So it's right there. Gigantic hands. And this is somebody who never started at Georgia, but he was in that heavy rotation that they do at Georgia. And he's somebody who can penetrate going downhill, has sideline to sideline range, coverage upside with the athletic traits that he does possess, running a 447 with a 42 inch vertical jump and 129 inch broad jump. And when you watch the film, he just pops out with his speed. Yeah, he was on a defense filled with talent. And I feel like he's getting buried a little bit behind a lot of that talent, but the Giants want to select him, have him play next to Blake Martinez. I feel like that would be excellent for him as he kind and gets accustomed to, you know, trusting his keys, keying and diagnose and reading what the offense is doing. It's not something I necessarily think he struggled with, but he's a linebacker in a system that was kind of unique. So maybe there's going to be a transition period with that. All in all, though, I would love the fact that they would get him at this area of the draft. I think it could be a difference maker at the second level who can impact many different things that Wink Martindale wants to do. Yeah, without a doubt there. And so far in your draft, no doubling up, which I think a lot of people fill out the mock drafts or do the mock drafts or, you know, go through the Giants actual draft and kind of may complain sometimes when they double up a position or double dip at a position. Always remember, you're, you don't have you should be worrying about the long term with these picks. And 
double dipping at a position is not a bad thing at all. If they think that player has the best chance to succeed, especially once you get into this range of the draft, we're very close to nearing the range of the draft where most of these guys end up being bust. To be honest, we are actually at that range. Me and Nick think that range has expanded a little bit in this class because we think there is a lot of talent in this 30 to, let's say, 70 or 80 range. But the reality is this range of draft picks in the NFL very rarely hit. A lot of the times they're just total bust. Sometimes they're like, multi-year starters that don't end up making it to a second contract. And sometimes they're just rotational players, but very rarely these picks hit. So a lot of these are just betting on upside and betting on, uh, or not betting on upside, but understanding that you're going to hit one in every four of these or however many or whatever that percentage end, may end up being. It's not a high percentage though. And so you can't, I, I don't think it's, a, I think it's important to understand that when you're making these picks and why it's important to me, at least to be okay with double dipping at a position, understanding that, look, we're taking two guys in a similar range at the same position, knowing that we're get, we're increasing our chances of hitting on one of those players to help us at one of those positions. And I think that's totally fine in the draft. Yeah, completely fine. And I honestly, I end up doubling up several times, actually, towards the latter end of same. the draft, which I'm completely fine with as well. And it's not just because they're pressing needs on the New York Giants. It's also because I like the value of the players and yeah. where they were. A hundred percent. Me too. All right, so I come to my part of the draft here. Now I'm sitting on the board with a tackle an interior offensive lineman in Cole Strange and Evan Neal. I got a safety in Nick Cross. I got an off-ball linebacker in Leo Chanel. And I'm trying to make my decision here at 81, but I'm offered a trade that I like here. And so I trade 81 and 173 to move all the way down here. Because remember, earlier I picked up 84. This is the reason I did this. I knew that I had to pick anyway in three picks. And I traded all the way down uh, from 81 and with to get, gave up 81 and 173, and I got back 99, 112, and 118. Why did I want 112, 118? You'll find out in a bit, but I took two players that I didn't want to ra- wait on. I didn't want to risk them not being there because another team fell in love with them. And I think that's important in the draft. We can project these guys to go late, and you could wait, and they might go late, but they might not. And then you don't have guys that you feel are on that same level, on that, you know, have that same kind of upside or same kind of value. So for me, after trading 81 and being on the board at 84 here, Nick, I took my boy here and I took a player who the, the, the people who he matched up against every day in practice, three of them are going to be drafted in the first two rounds, or I'm sorry, the first two days of the draft. One of them is most likely going to be drafted in the top five overall. And the other two are going to probably be second rounders, maybe at worst third rounders. And that's Alec Pierce, the wide receiver out of Cincinnati. And they rave. That's Sauce Garner. That's Kobe Bryant, the two corners. And then I, I don't know why I'm blanking on his name right now. The safety out of Cincinnati. What's the name again? Brian Cook. Brian, of course. And Cook, those three players rave about what they went up against in practice when they matched up against Alec Pierce or just watching him on the field. I understand the drawback with Pierce is can he beat um, you know, press coverage? Can he win vertically at the NFL level? It doesn't really look to me like the traits are there as much as just the nuance. I think he does a really good job of stacking vertically. I think he does a really good job finding a way to win there. And I think there's a little bit more nuance in his route running than people give him credit for. And that's just in addition to everything he can do in the you know contested catch situation game as a 50-50 ball winner, as somebody who can adjust in the middle of the air and come down at, after high-pointing a catch. And again, this is an incredible athletic profile to go along with it. So while it may not look... I don't think he is actually as fast on film as he tested at. I'll admit that because I think he ran a, what, a 4-4-1 at 6-3 and a half, 2-11. That's crazy. But I do think the 93rd percentile vertical jump is there and the 90th percentile broad jump is there. And I think, obviously, you got the height. You got the weight there going as well. The arm length and the wingspan, 78th percentile, 73rd percentile. All those traits that he has 
as far as athletic profile go, show up on his tape as well. So I think he's one of the best values in this entire class, Alec Pierce. I'm so happy to get him here at number 84 overall. And I'm excited for the Giants because the Giants need wide receivers. I think the economics of the NFL are changing. And I'm more interested in wide receiver now, Nick, in the draft than I've ever been before. That doesn't mean I'm going to take one in round one. It doesn't mean I feel like the Giants have to take one in round one going forward when it becomes a bigger need, let's say, than it is right now, at least pressing-wise for the short term. But what it means is where the value is, which is usually day two, rounds two or three, I'm really interested in taking receiver slash receivers, multiple ones, from this point on, moving forward for the rest of time. Because of, like I said, how the economics are changing in the NFL, we see now that you got to go crazy with these receivers to get them. you got to do a crazy trade like the Dolphins did with Tyreek Hill and then pay him a crazy amount to the point where positional values become crazy high on a receiver because you got to pay them almost like the quarterbacks. Same thing goes for Devontae Adams. you got to pay, you got to trade a crazy amount for somebody who's in his 30s now or about to be 30. He's 29 years old. And then you got to pay him a crazy amount. Now, Debo Samuel, this whole situation with Debo, how he won't accept a probably pretty good offer than 49ers ate him because he wants to be the highest paid receiver ever. Basically, <laughs> you know, he thinks he's a receiver and a running back. And so if they it's the same thing. So because of the value now and what it costs to acquire a receiver and what it costs to keep a receiver, I think there's a lot more value to drafting them because you still obviously need talent in the position to have any chance to win in the NFL. That this is a passing league. Corners, receivers, quarterbacks are still very important positions. So I'm excited to get a receiver here in the middle range who I think actually has a chance to be one of the best in the class. Yeah, you can blame Christian Kirk and the Jacksonville Jags for, <laughs> for this, man, because he signed that contract and everybody who was about to get paid and was up to get paid ended up getting traded. And I really feel like it might have just reset this entire position. And yeah. I view the wide receiver position a lot differently now than I did maybe even six months ago, which is kind of wild. And I like the Alec Pierce pick. I mean, Pierce, man, you watch him against SMU. He's a ability to defeat press coverage was pretty impressive there. I think he had two touchdown catches that went for about 20 yards isolated. And he's also somebody who I felt like was one of the better wide receivers in one-on-one situations in terms of the rapport that he had with Desmond Ritter working back shoulder throws and everything like that. He's also really good at the catch point. He was a member of the freak list for Bruce Feldman. So I like the Alec Pierce pick would welcome that with the giants. Yo, you go over your 99th pick so we can get caught up. Cause you had this extra selection here. I did. And I actually sitting on the board for me is a player that you took earlier. And I don't think he's going to be on the board at 99 to be honest. I don't even think he's going to be on the board where you took him, but I think he's a better chance to be on the board where you took him. This is where sometimes the simulators go wrong. I think, I don't know why, but PFF doesn't like this player. So it's kind of their, they kind of go by their own rankings and that's fine, but I really like this player. And that's Channing Tindall, the linebacker out of Georgia. I think you obviously did a good job of summing up. So I'll approach this one from a different angle, the position value, or I'm sorry, the position angle. Yeah, I took Leo Chanel earlier, but I don't care. I want talent. I want speed. And I want athleticism at the second level for the Giants. And who knows what Blake Martinez's future is with the Giants. He's an older player who already has an ACL tear. He may be gone after the season. To go into next year with Chanel and Tyndall at the second level, I feel a lot more confident that the Giants have what I want at that second level, athleticism and speed. And Tyndall, I think, will be also somebody who could be a really nice fit for the Wink Martindale defense. Obviously, he's more of a projection because you don't see it as much, and he was second, third, 15th fiddle in that unbelievable Georgia defense, and I get all that, but we're talking about an exceptional athlete with a 90th percentile vert, just to give you an idea, 90th percentile vert jump, 95th percentile broad jump, 95th percentile 40, 87th percentile 10-yard split, 97th percentile hand size. 
This is the kind of athlete that we're talking about. And it's not just like he's a full athlete. Like, yeah, he ran the 447. It's crazy. But you see it show up on film and he makes plays on film too. So it's not just like he's nowhere close to being an NFL player. He's still getting, he's still a lot further along there than he should be for somebody with that athletic profile. So I don't see how it's really possible to me, Nick, that somebody like this drops the 99 or even where you took him. But He's not getting any buzz, so maybe it is. And in this mock, he fell here. And I this is I just love these back to back Pierce and Tyndall at 84 and 99. Yeah, it's excellent. I mean, I only got him at 94, so it wasn't even that much further in, ahead of you. But for my next picks, Dan, I actually had the 109th pick, 110th pick, and the 112th pick. So it was a nice cluster. And I was watching the board kind of fall. Jeremy Ruckert was selected at 104. He was one of my targets. And then D'Angelo Malone was selected at 108. That's the edge rusher from Western Kentucky. He was another one of my targets. I would have double dipped on edge there. He ends up getting taken off the board, but that's fine. Cause at 109, I go with center out of Kentucky, Luke Fortner. He's definitely one of my guys. I had a very high grade on him early on. It seems like a lot of other evaluators have now caught up. He's just very, very smart. Always where he has to be frames his blocks very well, has strong hands. He's not the most overpowering type of dude, like a Sean Ryan or some of these bigger guys who more than likely will be interior offensive line. But you want to talk about somebody who's technically efficient and always where he needs to be and aware and not fooled by stunts, twists, and all those other kind of gap exchanges. It's Luke Fortner, and you can probably get him around this point of the draft. He was my favorite Kentucky offensive lineman. Everybody loves Darian Kennard. People talk about Dare Rosenthal. But no, Fortner was my favorite. May not be the sexiest, but definitely someone who can step in and be a starter in this league. And then at 110, I went with halfback Brian Robinson again not dynamic not necessarily the sexiest pick but somebody who can pass protect somebody who can catch passes a good inside the tackle type of runner who I feel like has enough speed to have success at the NFL level and then at 112 I went with their guy Cordell Flott cornerback out of LSU don't feel like a lot of people are discussing this guy he can play over the slot with his last name being Flott and from everything that I've seen from him he's also pretty solid in man coverage but I do probably need to watch a little bit more film on him because when I watched LSU's defense, I was paying attention to Damone Clark and Derek Stingley Jr. And I didn't really watch as much flop, but from what I've seen, I have liked it. Yeah, I like that. I mean, obviously, you know, I love the flop pick and I, I think you, you nailed it with all those picks. Robinson won't be a player that's on my target list. I'm just that's not what I look for in backs. I'm just and I and I understand it's just we and we we're never going to see blue eye eye on all these guys. And a lot of people like him, by the way. And I totally get that he can come right in and give you something immediately. And the same goes for somebody like Spiller, who you like, obviously, a lot more than I do. Uh, it's Isaiah Spiller at A&M. And a lot of people like Spiller. I see a lot of people recently like t- talking about him as like a top. 75 prospect. That's okay. I'm just not looking for those non-athletes, those non-super athletes, I guess I should say, at the running back position um, to translate to the next level because I just think it's going to look so different running at, the, running at the NFL level. But, you know, sometimes you overthink it when you go with just those pure athletes too because you can get guys who don't have the vision or don't have the nuances that it takes to play the running back position and can't ever get there. And so there's pros and cons to it, but obviously I like that set of picks for you, especially Flot there. Um, who I think, like you said, can be a really nice value pick for the Giants in this range. And you now have, what do you have, two corners now on this in here from here? Yeah, I have two cornerbacks. I'll go over my list. So I went with Evan Neal, tackle, Alabama, five, seven. I went with Kayvon Thibodeau, two trades, dropped me to 50. Jake Quan Brisker out of Penn State safety. And then I traded again, put me at 76, where I selected cornerback Tariq Wollin out of UTSA, 81, Sean Ryan, offensive lineman out of UCLA, and Channing Tindall at 94, linebacker out of Georgia. And then the three picks I just went over at 109, 110, and 112, which is Kentucky center Luke Fortner, Brian Robinson, halfback out of Alabama, and then cornerback Cordell Flott out of LSU. Okay. 
So now I'm sitting on the board with 112 and 118 before my pick at 182. These were from uh, the recent trade back when I moved from from 81 to 99. And these are the next these next two picks I made at 112 and 118. Nick, I got an F grade from Pro Football Focus on just flat out F, and I'm pretty sure it impacted my draft grade overall. But they gave me a B on, and they just don't like these guys, and that's totally fine with me because. I like these guys, and I think the NFL is going to like them a lot more than the projections possess right now. So I am not going to play the PFF mock simulator here and wait to get these guys because I don't think that NFL teams will allow it. And so at 112, I took who I think is the best value in this draft at any position, and that's Tyquan Thornton, the wide receiver out of Baylor. And I've talked in length about Tyquan Taylor. Or I'm sorry, ty- sorry, not Tyquan Taylor. Tyquan Thornton out of Baylor. Um but let me add a few more things that I haven't said before about this guy who ran a 4-2-8 at 6-2.5 and, and has better hands than people realize, better ability to adjust on the ball, quickness right off the snap, quickness in his release, the ability to win in the red zone. But here's some other stats with him. He broke out at 19.1 years old, his sophomore season. He had 70, seven, this is from uh, courtesy of Scott Barrett, uh, who we've actually had on the show before, a big fantasy guy, Scott Barrett. He broke out at 19.1 years old, and a lot of people believe that early breakout age is a big indicator of future success. He had 782 yards on just 68 targets. Um, he also talked about, obviously, he had an injury plague season in 2020. That kind of brought him down a little bit. But then in 2021, under a brand new system with a new regime and a quarterback who was terrible, and that's that's not debatable, that's the fact. He turned 98 targets into 62 catches, 941 yards, and 10 scores. I think this is the most quiet 941-yard, 10-touchdown season I've ever seen from a prospect who ran a 4-2-8 with length. It makes no sense to me why people are sleeping on this guy. I can't figure it out. He had a 38% dominator rating, according to Scott Barrett. He had 2.60 uh, yards per team of pass attempt. But how about this? This is something that, you know, the athleticism profile we've talked about. He's skinny. He's 181. I get it. He has super small hands and he's skinny. These are things that you have to worry about. But these are things that I would worry about for somebody who was talked about as a first round pick, maybe, or somebody who was talked about as an early second round pick. Is there not something I have to worry about for somebody who's not even talked about on the first or second day of the draft? And so we've talked a lot about his profile. He was the seventh fastest uh, wide receiver to participate in the combine since, since they charted it back in 2000 with the 428. But nobody talks about his 1.41 10-yard split, Nick. That was the fastest of any player at the combine since at combine since at least 2011. Any player since 2011, and it was only 0.01 tick off the famous Chris Johnson 10-yard split, which is the fastest ever since they uh, since they began charting. And as Scott Barrett noticed, that's more of an urban legend than a verified time. It's a supposed uh, 1.40 10-yard split for Chris Johnson that was never actually tested, or you know, there's never actually confirmed. But this was a real, confirmed, tested 1.41 10-yard split, which shows his quickness and his ability to have the burst. And you see that when you watch him. He wins in the red zone with that all the time, and he wins off the snap with that in the intermediate and short game all the time. I don't understand the the non-hype for this guy. I guess it's just fully related to his weight and hand size, I guess. I don't understand it, I guess, playing in the Big 12. But, man. I want him, and so I'm taking him at 112. I'm not waiting. I'm not waiting for another team to see it. And honestly, I don't, I, we'll talk about this on another show, which we're doing before the draft, but I don't think he's even going to be there at 112. But I'm taking it in this because I think it's fair to go 112. Dude, I accept it, man, because I really like Tyquan Thornton, and I 100% agree with everything that you said about him being an undervalued asset. I think the fact that he wasn't a Big 12 kind of works against him here. And I mean, there's definitely more than just a speed guy. When you turn on his film, watch the Oklahoma and the Oklahoma state touchdowns, 
that I, we went over on other podcasts where he released off the line of scrimmage with a diverse release package on both of the different ones, fired his feet, and then exploded outside and was able to stack on top and create separation against these cornerbacks where he provided the quarterback an easy just lofting throw wide open for a touchdown. So I really like that specifically at this area of the draft. And I ended up getting him actually out pick 152. And that was still ranked a D. By yeah, they Pro hate him. They hate him. They hate him over there at Pro Football Focus. They're not a fan of him. They're not a fan of him. But between those picks, and I honestly didn't even know Thornton was still available because I had him ranked so low. So I would go Thornton over these two players. I went with a pair of tight ends at 135 and 147. And it's another player that I feel like they're a little bit too low on, and that is Isaiah Likely out of Coastal Carolina. And then your guy, Jake Ferguson, out of Wisconsin. Everything I've seen about Ferguson, you were 100% right about, and I don't think you're being a homer because I've seen this guy be a dog as a blocker, blowing dudes up, linebackers, Big Ten linebackers, physical guys. He's aren't just little cornerbacks from small schools. I think Jake Ferguson is a low-key, good tight end option at this area of the draft who will be able to hold up as a blocker and offer some upside as a pass catcher. So I really like that selection. And then Isaiah Likely is a little bit more of an undersized HF type of tight end that you can use. It's a big slot. He's a dog as a blocker in terms of him getting downfield and blocking you know, smaller defenders at the Coastal Carolina level so you always got to kind of keep that in mind but he's not somebody who's disinterested in blocking he will but i don't really necessarily think he's that Y type of prototype whereas jake ferguson is so i wanted to add both of these guys at this area of the draft to really beef up the tight end room and have two development two different types of tight ends who can develop into starters for the future once ricky seals jones and jordan akins aren't here anymore i love that i mean look like you said draft guys different skill sets at that position but give you give you competition give you developmental players with tools and you're I know you're a big fan of likely tools and and I haven't really I I'm not as huge a fan but I can understand it I feel like if you're talking about move tight ends in this class that's one of the better options you can get as far as upside goes and Ferguson like you've talked about much better blocker than people realize but in my mind it's really to me the untapped potential is what he can offer as a receiver he shows it sometimes on the 50 50 balls he shows it sometimes and I'm sure you've seen these you know these plays in the red zone contested catch situations but I think he offers a little bit more in space after the catch and people realize, and he was used in some ways as a tight end in, on the tight end screens a lot in the offense. They just couldn't get a passing game going a lot at Wisconsin. That was the biggest problem. I thought for Ferguson, different quarterbacks, the same result. They couldn't generate a consistent passing game there. And I think that could be different if he gets to the NFL with a better quarterback. So I'll go through my last two picks here, Nick at one eighteen. another pick. I got a fat F on. I didn't care. <laughs> Ty Chandler running back out of UNC. I've called this out before, but I think Chandler is the best running back value in this class. And I'm starting to see the buzz build, by the way. Since I made that call, a lot of people I see now on Twitter, I'm not taking credit for this at all. I'm just saying I think that he's going to go earlier than people originally thought because of that. And that's why I'm taking him at 118. I don't want to take a chance. There's a lot of buzz that 49ers and Seahawks brought him in. The 49, Anytime the 49ers bring a running back in, I'm worried because – they know what they're doing at that position. They got Elijah Mitchell last year. <laughs> you know, they had uh, the kid from what's the kid from uh, Raheem Mostert who they took out of nowhere and made into something. They've been doing it for a long time there, Kyle Shanahan, that offense. And they know that his four, three, six speed is legit and it plays and it plays in that one cut system there for the 49ers. But I think it plays anywhere. And I've talked about him in the past, Chandler, why I love him so much. But it's that combination of the speed, patience, the vision, uh, the ability to make quick cuts and his upside as a receiver, all of those things I like. 
And I think at 118, I'm really happy to get him there. Then I finished my draft with Jake Ferguson, who I talked a little bit about at 182. So just to recap our drafts real quick before we go here, Nick. And then before I want you to recap your draft. I'll recap mine. And then I want you to say if you have any draft regrets or any overall thoughts on your class. So first start by recapping your class. Well, first, I have two more picks from the trades oh, wow, down. I forgot. You were, yeah. I forgot. You were loading up on those late picks. Okay. Never mind. Yeah, so I picked 173. I don't know where we're going to fit all these guys on the roster or <laughs> the salary cap, but kudos to you for figuring it out. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, they have, must have did something with James Bradbury. I'm not really sure. But round five at 173 and then round six at 182. I go with Pierre Strong Jr., running back out of South Dakota State. I mean – you can argue that he could have more upside than Brian Robinson, somebody I took several picks earlier. And this is somebody who played at obviously a smaller level of competition, but if you watch him hit the hole, you see the burst, you see the explosiveness. He's garnered a lot of buzz around draft circles. Very hard for me to find South Dakota state film, but I have seen highlights and stuff like that from those things, which can't really glean too much, but you can see kind of the upside with those types of things. I've liked what I've seen, but I still reserve some judgment, but at this area of the draft, I will take that risk right now. And then as for DeMarco Jackson at Appalachian, state i went through his film and found a decent amount of it and i liked marco jackson at 182 i feel like he's an undersized linebacker who is really really good penetrating if you like nicobe dean who is a much more advanced and skilled linebacker somebody who obviously did it at the best level at georgia so i'm not comparing the two but if you like nicobe dean you'll probably like demarco jackson and you'll get him at an incredible value because of the difference in skill set but i do believe he's one of these linebackers you can bring in you can cover tight ends he can play the run and if you want to use him in your pressure package which you know wink martindale would want to do he'll fit in well that pick got a d minus but i don't care i love it there at 182 yeah, screw their grades i don't care about their grades either i'm with you on that and that's somebody who ryan wilson by the way mentioned on his on our podcast with Ryan from CBS, who he drafted for the Giants as well in this range. So you and Ryan had a similar pick there. And obviously, I like that one as well. So recap your draft, go over the players and and how many players from each position, too. I just want to give the, the listeners a little overview of the positions that you came away with. All right. So Evan Neal, tackle Alabama, Kayvon Thibodeau, Oregon edge. That's five and seven. And then at 50, Jaquan Brisker, safety out of Penn State, 76, cornerback Tariq Wolin, 81, tackle well, – Interior offensive lineman at the next level out of UCLA, Sean Ryan, 94, linebacker Channing Tindall. Center Luke Fortner out of Kentucky at 109, 110, halfback Brian Robinson Jr. out of Alabama, 112, cornerback Cordell Flott out of LSU. Then 135 and 147, two tight ends, Isaiah Likely out of Coastal Carolina and Jake Ferguson out of Wisconsin, 152, wide receiver Tyquan Thornton, shout out. And then 173, halfback Pierre Strong Jr. out of South Dakota State, 182, linebacker DeMarco Jackson out of App State. So I went with two linebackers in Channing Tindall, DeMarco Jackson, two cornerbacks in Tariq Wollin and Cordell Flott, two tight ends in Isaiah Likely and Jake Ferguson and two running backs, Brian Robinson Jr. and Pierre Strong. I would have liked to maybe get another wide receiver outside of just Tyquan Thornton, but it just never really kind of fell to that. I like the fact that I went Jaquan Brisker safety at that moment of the draft, but I am kind of curious if I went in another direction, would I have been able to find value a little bit later at the safety position? I passed on Roger McCreary there. I ended up passing on Christian Watson there, Kenneth Walker, if I really wanted to go with a running back, but I still ultimately felt like Jaquan Brisker's upside it made me feel comfortable enough to go with him after trading down twice. So I don't really have many regrets with that. Like in any draft, you probably wish you attacked certain positions, maybe a little bit more, but the fact that I doubled up late in the draft, that tight end and halfback make me feel a little bit better and linebacker makes me feel a little bit better than I didn't maybe get the elite town at that area. And I got the right tackle. I got the edge and I got the safety. I really think Wink Martindale will be happy with this draft. And I think giant fans would too, but let me know everybody. 
Yeah, I like your draft, Nick. I'd be very happy with your draft. So you got that going for you. In my draft, I went with Evan Neal, the offensive tackle. Then I went Derek Stingley. So I got a tackle and a corner. Then I went Leo Chanel, the off-ball linebacker. So I got a tackle, a corner, a linebacker. Then I went Nick Cross, the safety. Tackle, corner, linebacker, safety. Then I took Cole Strange. So I'm going to move him to the inside. So now I have an interior offensive lineman and a tackle there on the offensive line. Then I took Alec Pierce and Channing Tindall. So now I got two linebackers, a receiver, a tackle, a corner, and a safety. The two linebackers is interesting. Two off-ball linebackers. I'll get to why it's interesting in a second when I get to my regrets. Um, and then after Tyndall, I took Tyquan Thornton, the wide receiver. I took Ty Chandler, the running back. So I got some talent now in the skill positions. And then Jake Ferguson, the tight end. I got a few regrets from my draft, Nick. My main regret is just not being able to get the guys I wanted at edge. I wanted to be able to have a chance to draft Kayvon Thibodeau. I didn't have a chance to draft Kayvon Thibodeau. I wanted to have a chance to draft Arnold Abiquetti. I didn't have a chance to draft Abiquetti. I wanted a chance to, to potentially draft Jake Trey Jackson and take a chance there. I didn't. But what I'm hoping is that my belief in Wink Barndale's ability to generate pressure in a variety of ways you know, again, those amoeba looks, pressure come from anywhere. Different guys can do different things to generate pressure with guys like Channing Tindall, potentially. And obviously, definitely, I'm expecting pressure from Leo Chanel. Otherwise, I would have never drafted him here. If even I wasn't drafting him just to be a run defender, even though he's great at that. It's not why I drafted him. And so my one regret would probably be I didn't really come away with any true edge in my draft. I do think that I came away with two players who can help in that regard. And more importantly, I came away with a corner who can hold up on an island, which I think is the most important thing the Giants need right now for this defense to work. My other regrets is I went into this draft, Nick, wanting to take a chance in on day three on one of three players. One, Damone Clark, the linebacker at LSU, who won't play this uh, this coming season, but will, in my mind, return in 2023 and be insane value because you're going to get him on day four and sorry day three at some point probably even later than round four you can get him like he's going to keep falling because he's not playing next year and the giants aren't really in a position where they need players to play next year they're, they're almost in a better position to have like a red shirt guy so i wanted to come away with clark in this draft i didn't i wanted to come away with justin ross in this draft the wide receiver of clemson who i think has top five potential in this class but again ding for the injuries and, and is and fell in this thing by the way i just couldn't find a way to fit him or I wanted to come away with Amir White, the running back out of Georgia, who's dinged for the ACL tears. Ultimately, I came away with players that I like more at receiver anyway, or receiver and running back anyway. So I'm less concerned there. My biggest concerns, Nick, are probably just no true edge for my class and then just not getting Damone Clark. I want, I kind of want Damone Clark pretty bad. Dude, I wanted Damone Clark as well. And I was like, ah, he'll be available late. And then he just wasn't there. And I was like, ah, crap, I got greedy. And then that's something that I do a lot in these drafts. I get a little bit too greedy and I miss out. I don't know if I'd make a good general manager. <laughs> yeah, well, you you would to me because you traded back a bunch. And that's key for these for these general managers, I think, for winning. More dart throws. Anything else on these drafts before we wrap this thing up? No, man, I'm just excited for the draft. I can't believe it's draft week, bro. The draft can't wait. And I'm wildly excited for this pre-draft smoke screen bull crap that just kind of be over with because it gets to be monotonous and pretty exhausting. Yeah, I'm excited for it too. It's going to be a lot of fun starting Thursday. And I feel like the surprises won't really come until day two, maybe Friday, but you never know. There's obviously the little, the little smoke today. Um, we can talk about this briefly, but <laughs> Steelers general manager, Jen, Kevin Colbert talked about like how he's going to consider his option for trading up or back. And then he mentioned something pretty oddly specific about considering the value when he's considering a trade from 20 to seven. That was oddly specific from the Steelers. And so 
I don't know because the Giants sit at seven right now. So it was definitely something that piqued my attention. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's something that I retweeted for sure. And I think maybe we should start entertaining some of those prospects who are being selected around that area of the draft. I'm fascinated to see what the Giants do if they get a right tackle trade out of seven and then they fall at 20 because you're talking Tyler Lindebaum is now in the conversation. One of those linebackers could be in the conversation if someone falls, like even like a Jordan Davis, would they go in that direction? Like, I have no idea. Like, I just think it, it would be a, a fascinating uh, discussion point and possibly even as Zion Johnson, which is something I Zion Johnson is probably there's very few. The problem with me, the trade back to 20, I'm usually really interested in it. Only way I'd probably be interested is if we get the number one next year from the Steelers. But again, as I talked about earlier, I'm just, I'm so concerned with that one next year being anything that helpful for the Giants. So I really do have confidence that a Malik Wills led Steelers can win a lot of games next year. I just think they're already there on defense and everywhere, but quarterback essentially. And O-line still not amazing there, but it was weirdly that took a massive jump. Like we've been watching this Giants offensive line been unable to do anything for a decade now. And the Steelers were in such, supposed to be in such a bad position after that 2020 season on the offensive line. And they weren't that bad on the O-line last year, which I found pretty surprising. They weren't great, by the way, because if you look at Najee Harris's numbers, they weren't great on the offensive line, but they were weirdly competent for the most part there. So, and I think they'll just continue to get better there. But Again, something to consider. We might have to consider some of those prospects there. I don't, I don't, I, I, like I said though, Nick, I don't really love anyone in that range. Uh, I mean, like Zion Johnson's probably the guy I would want the most. Um, don't really love Trevor Penning if he's falling into that range. Don't really want any other tackles if they're falling in the range. Definitely don't want McDuffie. I don't think he fits at all what the Giants want to do at corner. Uh, maybe there's some receivers I would I would consider. Maybe we get to that point, but I'd rather just take some of these receivers in the second, third, maybe even fourth round range. So, you know, it, you you might get to the point where you say, okay, can I take Arnold Abichetti? And it's not a reach because, you know, you might just love Arnold Abichetti. Same thing goes for Daxton Hill. So those would probably be the three players that I would that would stand out to me. And some people say, you're going to take Daxton Hill at 20. You're going to take Abichetti at 20. That's a reach. I don't really see those as reach. I see those as like two of the players I'm most interested in of that range. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree with that, to be honest. I think it opens up a whole nother group of players that we haven't discussed all that much. And Twitter will be on fire, bro. <laughs> Joe Shane cheering out of seven on draft day to fall to 20. And that opens up a totally different door for the New York Giants. Yeah, without a doubt. One other thing, good news. Kadarius Tony reported to phase two of the voluntary OTAs just days after uh, Pat Leonard reported that the Giants are trying to trade him, which is crazy because it's Pat Leonard and he has a really bad track record with this stuff. I don't think it's his fault. Like, I think maybe it's him partially. Like he knows this is how he built his brand by like coming up with a lot of crazy rumors and stuff. But I think it's just honestly, just, he has these bad sources that leak crappy information. Like it's just, these are, I think these are actually coming from sources quote unquote, but there's bad shitty sources that are like wrong at a ridiculous rate because this one is just, it doesn't feel to me right now like the Giants are even considering trading Kadarius Tony when he shows up to voluntary OTAs just two days later. Like, I just, it doesn't seem like a player they're considering trading. Like, James Bradbury, who's pretty obviously on the trade block, hasn't been at OTAs. I think that's kind of been agreed on, like, with the agent and with the Giants. Um, and so, just good news, I think, on that front. The last thing I wanted to see was the Giants get, like, a shitty third-round pick back for Kadarius Tony. Oh, that would have sucked so bad, man, because he has so much promise, and I really want to see him in Dable's system. I think he can really thrive if he stays healthy, and I think he could thrive probably wherever he goes. He really is a unique football 
player. He just has to be totally dialed in, which hopefully he is now that he's reported. Dialed in and healthy. That's the key for me, just the health factor, even more so than anything else. Because I think he was so still so raw last year, and yet that productive, despite being that raw within his own skill set and you know within his own ability to play the wide receiver position. So to me, it's really just the health right now for Tony, and I'm I'm hoping they can get some good luck on that, you know, moving forward. Dude, the body, like the body control you need to to pull off that move that he ran against Trayvon Diggs, it's insane, dude. Really is insane, and you can see, you know, we've 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 cycled that film, but go take a look if you haven't seen that for some odd reason. The route he ran against Trayvon Diggs in a game where he, you know, very few receivers have that kind of game in the rookie season. He had a ten, I believe it was one. How many yards did he have in that game? Like one forty-one, or was it even more? Hit 10 catches for like a buck 40 or something like that. With Mike Glennon throwing on the ball, too. Dude, Mike Glennon throwing the ball for most of that game. Not the whole game, but most of that game. Like, he had a takeover game in his rookie season just a few games into it. Like, that, to me, flashes all you need to know about why I didn't want the Giants to have to settle for a third-round pick in return for Gadarius Tony. I'm glad that doesn't appear to be the case. And, you know, maybe this is a lesson. I just really have to seriously stop taking this Pat Leonard guy seriously. I'm wondering if, like... I don't know. Is it a ruse that they wanted that information out there? Like, I have, I have no idea. Oh, you know? to like, get Tony to show up. That's obviously all potential possible, too, but I doubt that. I don't yeah, think it's like, unlikely. It does. I don't but think it's I don't that know. kind of regime. No, no, neither, neither do I, but who knows? You know, and I could believe thing, that was more something I would believe in the Joe Judge, Dave Gettleman days. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. And we had Kadarius Tony kicked out of the Cowboy game in a nice hockey manner. So he could even have more yards. If that oh, game, yeah, true. Continue. I forgot he get kicked out yeah. of that game. I totally Throwing, forgot about that one. Throwing punches, he kicked man. out of that game. Wow, <laughs> what a game! What a game for Kadarius Tony all around. All right, that's all we have today on the Big Blue Banter podcast. Thank you so much to everybody who's tuning in, listening. Do me a favor now. You can rate and review us on Spotify. I found this recently. You can leave a review there. Click that five star button. Help us out. Help us grow the show. Uh, obviously, tune in this entire week. We're going to have a show every day the rest of the week. And we're going to have a lot of content coming Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So, obviously, good stuff ahead. Can't wait for this draft. Big one for the Giants. It's it's everything. I mean, this is their chance to finally turn things around. And so, without further ado, or without, you know, without anything else to say, that's all we have for today. So, I'll leave it the way I used to leave this show. Nick loves when I end it like this. But, go Giants. Chapman, welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.